The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, this is Brian. The podcast is going to start in a second. Uh, but first, if you are just finding me on Slate and you're a new listener, thanks for giving it a shot. If you've been with me for the last year and a half, uh, I so appreciate it and I've been digging the conversation we've been having, and I'm glad to be able to continue it here. The premise of this show, for those of you who are listening for the first time, is that people who accomplish remarkable things process the inflection points, the high moments and low moments in their lives differently than the rest of us do. They somehow use these moments for fuel. And I have long been interested in, in how and why they do this. And for years, uh, I would have these conversations. The only difference is that in the, in the era of podcasting, I'm able to have these conversations with a microphone. I only have one rule for this show, and that is I only talk to people with whom I'm totally fascinated. Uh, they've either accomplished things that blow my mind or they've lived their life in a way that uh, I'm dying to understand. I really think it's a privilege and, and an honor to get to do this thing. And I love getting feedback from people who are listening. I'm reachable by email at themomentbk at gmail.com. You can email me about anything you want, except please don't send me any screenplays uh, or TV scripts or idea for either thing. Those go right in the trash. Everything else I reply to eventually. I do reply. It may not be really quick, but uh, I do. All right, that's it. I'm not going to say without further ado, because those words um, don't mean anything anymore. But this is where I would say without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is David Chang, who at a very young age is already sort of a legendary guy. Um, though I know you don't think of yourself that way. No, not so much. <laughs> uh, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago now, uh, Dave opened Mamafuku Noodle Bar, which changed the way uh, people in New York thought about restaurants and, and fine dining, uh, which I know is another two words that you don't like. And uh, he sort of reinvented the way people uh, thought about food and, and since then has opened restaurants that are the most popular restaurants in Australia and Toronto and has uh, one, two, three, four restaurants in New York City. Uh, and then tons of uh, milk bars, right? Yeah. Is that the official number? I don't even know. Tons? It's a lot. We have, we have enough going on. Um, but more than that, uh, you know, Dave, uh, of uh, all the guests I've had on this show, this is, I know if my son were in New York, he would be here because uh, you've had a big impact we, on we, his you life. You guys have been like real fans since... Since the like almost the very beginning, especially yeah. with your dad coming in a bunch. I, I well, yeah, I came in yeah. to Noodle Bar. Uh, a friend of mine brought me to Noodle Bar like I guess two months after it started, and uh, it was like here in Zeppelin. Oh my god, it's a dawn on me. Like, dude, I knew your kids when they were kids. Oh yeah, you did. My you met my son when he was a little tiny boy, and my daughter too. And uh, I went to Noodle Bar right at the beginning, and yeah, then came back like two days, three days in a row. Brought my kids and. Um, and I have so many questions about who you were then at the beginning and, and what's happened because your rise has been chronicled, but it, not that often from the from the inside, like what it's felt like. Mm. And you you just said something to me right before the what well the mics came on. You said that for a long time I, you told me you were down eating barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was saying, you know, one thing that's changed for certain is I literally used to. Yeah, I mean, you have to be careful how much you love something. And I loved food so much, not necessarily eating it, but discovering it and 
learning about it, dreaming about it, reading about it, finding out the lineage of where that person worked for worked before and like what their philosophies were, their regions and it was like collecting baseball cards or comic books or some type of hobby. You mean when you were hiring people to work to come cook for you or, or just, just as in you general were studying like, the just whole thing. generally like food was so um, all consuming. So fascinating to me and uh, you know and like you know, even like foie gras, let's just say something like, you know, the, the, the enlarged duck liver. Just never even knowing what that was going to taste like. Imagining, like, how would you even have enough duck liver to make a terrine of foie gras? Uh. Like, that's so insane. And then slowly but surely, that love becomes uh, your your craft, your work. And it's not this thing that you just read about. It's something that you read to enrich yourself so you get better at it. And then slowly you lose that that sort of that spark that uh, I wouldn't say innocence but that mystery to why you even did it to begin with because now I hate to say it but like for a long time I was pretty jaded about a lot of things in terms of food because um, you know going out to eat wasn't as fun as it used to be and maybe that's just because I'm just a curmudgeonly old man now but uh, whether it's like the internet I don't know there's probably a lot of reasons um, and slowly I'm trying to like enjoy eating again well it occurs to me that one thing that changed is that when you would go to eat now people would watch you eating which they didn't before well yeah it's it's different it's different i i just i just want to eat well regardless but there's something before i would try to pursue anything and i would want to know what the high end was i even though i don't necessarily love fine dining i'm a classicist at heart yes and I love fine dining. I love what it stands, not stands for, but I love what it produces. And um, I guess, I, you know, you have to be careful when you learn how to do all the magic tricks. And um, what I really pursue now are the really the cleanest, the most simplest things. And barbecue was one of them. And uh, man, it's so goddamn good. I was saying you were awesome. posting these Instagram pictures. And what's great is that your Instagram, you'll post some sauce, something that you've created. But you'll also post like Franklin barbecue and because I'm genuinely excited to eat it, because when it's something so damn simple, right? You can read about how to make barbecue brisket, smoked brisket, all you want on the internet. You could watch YouTube videos. You could read every damn book possible, but unless you spend the fucking thousands of hours to make it, I mean, it's never going to work out. <laughs> Uh, and and that's what I want to taste. I want to taste that love. And as cliche and cheesy as that sounds, you know, there's a chef friend of mine uh, in Europe. When he comes in, we say like, "Hey, can we go to like the like the worst best place?" Or I, I have a joke, call it like uh, normivore. You know, just normal right. eating. But any place where, if it's just a grilled cheese sandwich, who cares? As long as someone cares making it. It's going to be so much better than anything else you could eat. Well, there, yeah, well, there was that great moment on like one of the very first episodes of Mind of the Chef, maybe the first where you got, you and Meehan went into like a, a Japanese grocery store or something, and you just ate like this thing out of the styrofoam, and, and you were like, "This is yeah, convenience, amazing." Convenience store food in Japan is so good, and it defies like, "Oh, you can't like Seven Eleven food or stuff like that." But the reality is, it's good, and that's what I want. But uh, in general these days, I want like mastery or something. I want to taste something where I can't get anywhere else except that location. Like I can get barbecue. Barbecue is a lot better in the city than it's ever been ever before, but it's not going to taste like Austin, Texas. And uh, that's important to me. And I, I just those memories, those moments that I want to cherish now and pursue because in this day and age where you can get just about anything now, 
I want the highest of quality. What made you able be able to like rediscover it? Do you think like if you had gotten because I can imagine I've had these moments too where that this thing you love you become kind of disconnected from and uh, I remember for me it was like because I had been in music when I the music business uh, for for a while I couldn't I couldn't deal with records the way that I used to and it was heartbreaking to me and then when I left that suddenly two years later it all came back like I love it more than than ever and I promised myself that in the movie thing. I would never let it happen. I haven't. How did was it a conscious choice to like re-engage for you? No, I think I'm still working through that process. Um, you know, I I think you really have to be careful of how much you love something because inevitably, if you love something too much, you begin to see the cracks in the facade, and uh, it is all consuming. Just as it's all consuming to you because it's an attraction and you want to love everything, that same attraction you begin to see in the imperfections and everything. And it is off-putting. It becomes the equally like it's the opposite of the of what you wanted. So you begin to hate it, and uh, um, that's sort of what I felt about food for a long time. Obviously, I love it, but it was like it's in a lot of ways chasing after that high, and you want sure. that pure high that used to be like. And nostalgia is such a fucking crazy thing. I don't even know if I can curse. Yeah, I'm curse all you want. Um, and you know what? It was really wrestling with nostalgia. Right, and because uh, that's what food does, and um, you know, I think I'm still working through that because it's different, and I think it's now a mixture of confidence now of what I like as a person. Like, you know, what I don't want to eat that. I don't want to eat that. I'm okay if you, you know, don't like what I like. I'm okay in liking my own weird. Right. I mean, thing. you were always. It seems like okay when you knew you made something great if someone didn't like it they could go fuck themselves no but that wasn't that wasn't really it like you know i think you can be two things at the same time i can hate a customer yeah and want them to never come back and i can still love a customer and want them to come back oh of you course know? but you i'm know? oh yeah no no but uh it's interesting that um when you knew you i remember uh in the beginning you know when you knew that something was really good uh it seemed to me you weren't going to change it or modify it for other people uh, because we, we you were, had we, the sense of... We actually were modifying all the time. And that's... But, oh, but, you but mean not, you were trying to make things better all the time? Yeah, but it, it was different because this is where it was just sort of fortuitous in terms of how that original space, the original noodle bar, 161st yeah. Avenue, was because it was so intimate and you had the closed uh, open kitchen, 600 square feet, about the size of one car garage. And... After a period of time, you start to learning. I start to learn how to um, observe. You know, usually as a cook, you learn in a closed kitchen, and then the open kitchen was a very different environment because you're making a food, you're making a dish, and then you can see how they're reacting to that dish. And if you don't get that reaction you want, you failed. And I'm sure it's like for you, like for a laugh or something, like oh, 100%. you know, just like small giggles not enough when you want that. Like it's even just how about um, when you're watching something with people in the room if they're leaning forward or like you can just feel the moment that it connects and you can just feel when it doesn't. But, but, and the, so, but that's exactly the distinction I'm drawing. So um, the way you test something, a movie is like you sit in a room with these people, then they fill out cards. I, you never, but the filmmakers basically never care about the cards. What right. the filmmakers care about is what they felt when they were watching the people watch it. That's what I'm saying. You might modify over two weeks as you're watching how a dish hits, how it hits overall. Right. But you weren't going to modify. But if somebody was like, "Well, I want you to change this or this or this," I'd be like, "Shut the fuck up!" 
Right. You know, I, I, I'm not listening to you at all, you know, or if it just, I generally don't think people know what they want. Um, but you've learned to think you know now, right? No, it's, it's, it's this weird, it's a leap of faith. And I think it's really interesting as someone that creates any type of product, whether it's a, you know, bag of potato chips or a movie or a TV show or, or to, uh, to, to know that you're going to make something, you know, generally most people are going to like this. Like that's insane. And I can just talk about cooking on just salting food, just salt, basic thing of salt. It's a hell of a thing for me to salt food and to assume that it's the right seasoning for everyone in the dining room. Wow. It's crazy. How the hell do I know that? Right. And so it begins, I, I tend to think that the only way you get there is through series of trial and error and really understanding. And, and you know, it gets sort of meta here, but you know, this is what I tell young cooks now. It's like for you to season or salt properly, you got to learn the perfect under seasoning and the perfect over seasoning. And you have to do them both at the same time. And that is, and it's just like, you can always taste it in your head. It's like, ah, oh, that's what it tastes like. But it's not 70% over season. It's not 30% under season. It's both fully committed. And it's in that dichotomy where that perfect balance is. And the balance is being committed fully to both. And then in my opinion, that weird thing of like, I just feel it's that, that is something where most people can like, they, they, they reside in that moment too. Like they can, like that perfect salt taste. Everyone has that experience. Yeah, the ideal, the, oh, right. it's like, like a platonic, platonic ideal exactly. of the thing. And uh, you're, and so yeah, you can see why it can be maddening for you if you're chasing the platonic ideal, of, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, it's an ideal, it's an impossibility uh, but most it, of the time. But it happens, and it's just like that high we're talking about about when you first eat food or any like music, you're you're constantly going back and you're chasing after that and. I think that's uh, that's what I want. I want that moment when someone's eating food and they don't know what the fuck is going on. You know. Well, yeah, you've redefined how we think about it. I'll tell you, in 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 my family, and I mean, you did it for a lot of people, which is very early on. At a certain point, you started saying when people would sit, uh, talk in big words about the whole thing, you would just say, "Look, I just want it to be delicious." And you, a lot of people imitate the way you say that word, but you were like, you know. Uh, it seems like such an obvious concept, right? Of course, uh, a chef, a restaurateur is going to want to make his food delicious. But why do you think that was in a way like a revolutionary uh, idea? I mean, off the top of my head, I think people thought that food could only be good in certain circumstances and environments. And the reality is, is you begin to talk to like any chef. They'll be like, oh, I love cooking roast chicken and shit my mom made. Well, the reality is, is most of your great food memories are like eating a fish taco on the beach or a burrito right. or a hot dog on the stand. And there are memories. There's friendship involved. There's a lot of different factors, but you don't care where you're eating it. It's how you eat it. And I don't give a shit about eating these, you know, whatever. In any circumstance, that's what I want. And I think that um, when you start to realize that, in, and at that time when 2004, uh, food was very hard to come by in non fancy establishments great food at least delicious food delicious food and that's why i don't think i did anything new because it's you can eat delicious food in most cultures really well cheaply and it doesn't food's actually not just for rich people so um you know that that was it i i just i wanted to sort of pursue that moment where i at least when i have when i eat something great i'm like what the fuck and i tell my guys at my restaurants that's the only thing we can control who gives a shit about anything else? The, the, how we get to the end, I don't give a fuck. How, the, how it ends, how people leave the restaurant is the only thing we can control. 
They can either leave. I got my caloric intake. That was okay. That's good. Glad. Glad. Let's get back to work. You can leave being like, what the fuck? I hate this restaurant. I can't. I'm never going to trust you, Brian. Any right. more advice that you, recommendations, you're out. It sucks. I hate this place. What a waste of my time. Or you leave being like, what the fuck just happened? And then when I say that experience, what the fuck just happened all the time, because you're genuinely confused of how you just ate something in a place that you didn't think could happen. And it was so good. And this is when cooks tell me, like, I think it's a really good dish. I was like, if it's a really good dish, people will queue up for three hours in the pouring rain. So shut up. It's not good enough. People, You're saying you'll say that to your chef. Yeah, or or, and, 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 like, that's when you know it's a great dish. Yes. That's the benchmark. And also it's a great dish is if people are eating something, right? We're, t we're having lunch or dinner and we're eating something, we're still having a conversation. Guess what? You fucked up. Right. You fucked up because if it's great and we have all experienced this, I hope, when you're eating something so fantastic and you're in a great conversation, one of your best friends you haven't seen in 20 years, and you're eating something, you're not talking, we've done our job. When silence is literally golden. And when if it's you, so good that it shuts you up. That's what you want, man. And those moments, I understand, are few and far between. But that's what gets me out of the bed in the morning. That's what I want. And I understand that failure is like the road to that. So, sure. <laughs> Yeah, you mean you're gonna put a dish on, you're gonna put it in front of people, you're gonna be in the lab working on it. You're never gonna get that moment. But you know what, like that's what I'm chasing. But you did create a thing and this isn't, um, you know, if I, I mean I have truly actually just put my money exactly where my mouth is because of the amount of times that I have, you know, uh, eaten in your places. And uh, when you created, you know, so the thing that happened, right, you, you were, it's a ramen bar, you, it was, you were opening a ramen place, the noodle bar, you lived in Japan, right, and tried all this different ramen, come back and trained in kitchens. And, uh, but then you created this, this pork bun. Right. And, I mean, it is, uh, that's the thing I was saying was like uh, listening to Zeppelin for the first time. It, um, you had taken a food that was very familiar. You could get bao in Chinatown. I grew up eating it. Every Taiwanese person gets mad at me because they're like, you didn't fucking invent it. I was like, I never said I invented it. Of course you didn't. I don't know what I have to do. I give credit to everybody about this and I still don't. Right, but baked and steamed bao were presented in a very different way. The pork was presented in a different way. The sauce was different. The um, sriracha was not a common item that would be found nearby. So when the when when it happened, what was it like for you when you obviously cooked good things before for people? But this was right at the beginning of Noodle Bar, and what happened, as I remember, the chefs started coming at night mm -hmm. and eating this pork bun and telling people, what did it feel like to you when you would see people at that um, react that way? And also, did you know? Was no, it like? No. Did you know you created something sick? No idea. <laughs> it was really eleventh hour edition. It's an idea that I took from eating eating at. Um, Oriental Garden, and I saw them eating the, the Peking duck and this bao. And I'd seen bao before, obviously in Asia, but never linking Peking duck. And it was just one of those things where at a ramen bar, we're serving ramen. There's only so many things you can make out of ramen. So you're trying to make as many different dishes out of the same product as possible. So ramen garnish was pork belly. Okay, how do I sell ramen pork belly in something else? And I was like, okay, I, let's just serve it in this bread. And that's what happened, and serve it with hoisin and scallions. Right. It was just uh, sort of, let's see what happens, right? I, I, I didn't even really plan on what was going to happen. No idea at all. But what happened was interesting is people liked it a lot. I didn't, um, 
I didn't believe them. I didn't believe. What do you mean you didn't believe? I have a them? real problem with. Uh, I have a real problem with um, praise. You know, you think people are just bullshitting you? Oh yeah, Shining I think everyone lies. Really? Always? <laughs> Almost always. It's hard. I have to really like put my bullshit meter on to see if they're like lying, because. It was hard for me to see, like, oh, I really love this. Because the only way they're not lying is when it's eyeless silent and they, they eat it as fast as possible. Like, uh, I want three more. Right. You know? And that was happening. Yeah, that, I mean, that was but happening like right away. the first time, it was really hard for me to see, like, why, really? They're eating pork belly. Do you they know how bad that is for you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And pork belly before, I remember Tom Kalika tried to sell it. Or we even tried to sell it at Kraft. Yeah, they call it fresh bacon, which is a total lie. You know, fresh bacon. And I'm going to call it pork belly. I was like, well, white people order this stuff? Yeah, but you changed the whole thing because, like, my, we were in a restaurant the other day and they had pork belly on the menu. And I said, oh, this is really good. And Sam looked at me and he said, they're cheating. It's pork belly. <laughs> Once you, it's cheating. It's, it's so delicious. You could almost prepare it. But, a- but to me, it's like a lowest hanging fruit, too, because I was like, man, it's just bacon. It's uncured bacon. And everyone loves bacon. So it's that fatty unctuousness. But... I literally had a hard time believing people that they liked it until I saw the sales. And I was like, well, numbers really don't How lie. quickly did that happen? I, it was like, wow, that's all people are ordering. Because I, I, truthfully, all our, all our ramen wasn't that good the first like nine months because we were getting the noodles right. And yeah. you know, just running a restaurant is generally difficult. And the one thing that was sort of outstanding from the get-go was the pork butt. And that probably saved us. And which is that on the I, corn that first summer, right, you brought the corn in with right. the bacon. And that was like also. all sorts of stuff that we started to put on from the market. And, uh, you know, I had, I've had a love, love, hate relationship with the pork bun, but I wouldn't be here today without it. So then, so you knew that it was happening. You saw people reacting to it. You were so hard on yourself. Oh, I've seen you in your own restaurant. So hard <laughs> on yourself, right? For, are you still that hard on yourself? Yeah. I'm, but I'm not, cooking anymore you know i'm not in the restaurant doing it and it's manifest itself in different ways now um and people don't understand like that was a lot i did logged a lot of hours <laughs> in those kitchens and it's different because i can't physically do it at all the places and in, in you know the three countries that we have restaurants now so it's different because um it manifests itself in different ways because uh i don't know again i'm still wrestling with a lot of these things well you know like because i had lunch with you at um, one of your restaurants one day and it was really great and you said I can never uh, I hate eating in these places because I have to cede on- I, you said if to do my job well I have to be willing to cede ownership to the people running it but I only notice the stuff they do wrong yeah it's like it's like the the sixth sense I see dead people in my own restaurants I don't see anything that's good and maybe it's a product of my father and my mother just tiger parenting the shit out of me but it's really hard for me to compliment. And it's also something that I learned in cook, working for like other chefs. And in a real serious kitchen, praise doesn't happen. Praise is the, the absence of criticism. There's no one like, oh, you did a great job, Dave. That was fantastic. Right, it if you're not like, fired at the end of the day or yeah. told you suck, you've, you've done well. Really, and we would go home and have beers with our cook or the other cooks and be like, man, like, I, I think chef's not going to fire us. You know, and literally it was a lot of fear. And... Um, you know, for me, I work better in a state of, I don't want to say negativity, but like fear is a great motivating factor. Um, well, yes, yeah, sometimes I've heard people say that, that uh, draw the comparison of you and Mario, who, who's my, you know, I love Mario. And they say like, Mario's Clinton and you're like Obama. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he fucking really enjoys stuff and I'm jealous of it. Um, 
you know, I'm constantly working at it. And I'm like, damn, like Mario is just the best. He really is so good. Like, you know, because he's every bit the perfectionist, but he somehow is able to grab on. But he's the a joy. good guy too, and that's another thing. And and, that, and that's what I'm trying to like become is like just a better person, you know. And uh, and so, how does that do? Do you think that 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 pursuit somehow dovetailed with this? Having to like um, distance yourself a little bit from emo- being as emotionally engaged with the, um, I think that I have a remarkable capacity to convince myself of anything, uh. for good and the bad. So, um, I think you just have to take a step back and, and and look at what you're doing, and if there's literally a positive impact. If I really will do whatever is good for the company. I can't just say it. I actually have to do it. And those are that's like a fundamental thing I've learned in life. Just because you know it doesn't mean you do it. <laughs> and yeah, that's super true. And but now have you started you've started to find I mean, obviously you built this incredibly successful thing. You must have been doing a lot the whole time that would No, it, it's great, but I just I have a hard time ever in uh I just not that I want more. I'm afraid that I just don't, that's one thing I want to actually want to figure out for myself is when is enough. Yeah, what do you think the answer to that question is? I don't is? know. I want complete, I want to like destroy all of my like people that are on my list that I want to destroy. You haven't gotten them all yet? <laughs> how have you not gotten them all yet? You know, most people that are friends with, they're like, Dave, how can you be so angry? And I'm like, I don't know. You still, oh, I, I, oh my God. You still haven't like um, made the connection that, that's, that that anger is now um, atavistic. It doesn't serve you anymore. It does though, because like how even still like I have to make, I have to ima- I have to create enemies to just keep focused, and it's either you're you're with us or you're against us. There's no in between, you know. There's it's either or proposition. There's no fucking shades of black. And how do you find? So you find an enemy, and then it's like, well, that person doesn't think I can do it, or they thought they can encroach on my turf, or they rip me off, you know, my stock, my thing. So I'm gonna go and. You're gonna you know, like try just to 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 beat them, <laughs> man. That's really like what you still burn. You still burn that. I'll tell you an example. One time, yeah. and I, I'm not nearly as the thing is, I'm not nearly as angry, but I still am, and that's something I'm wrestling with. Is like, really, Dave? Like, what do you have to really, yeah, have like enemies for? Um, you know, when we first opened up, there was this person I should name her. That would be awesome, but she ran this website that's promoted young chefs, and. Um, this is probably like the first year and we went to visit all of these chefs that won because they were a lot of my friends and she had come in the restaurant before and she pulled me aside after eating. She said, you know what, David, this isn't Japanese food. Whoa. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, okay. She's like, I know Japanese food. My husband's Japanese and this isn't Japanese food. It's not even Japanese food. It's not even very good. And I was like, fuck you. But she hit you with that? Oh, was yeah. this when the restaurant was starting to really happen? No, it was like when we were really like struggling. In the beginning. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. And then um, I was like, you know, I, I bit my tongue, and I'm like, you know what? I'm like, well, that's honest. I'm like, fuck, okay, sucks. Didn't win that one. We go to this award ceremony, and we start talking. We had not taken Kino, and I hadn't taken Akino Baka of the Brooklyn Star now, who is, um, you know, we had a great time together. Um, we hadn't taken a day a break, off, yeah. and we went to talk to this like girl, pretty girl, and. <laughs> She starts to like tee off on Momofuku Noodle Bar and these two guys named Dave Chang and Joaquin Baca. 
and what a bunch of assholes these guys are thinking they're going to make Japanese food. And we're like, I look at Kino, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Is she, is she punking us? Like, does she even know that it's us? She, she had no idea. Her boss told everybody what a bunch of clowns That's the best. And you heard it right to your yeah, face. And we went insane. We went bonkers. What'd you so do? much so that we had to get escorted up by security. Well, with, I mean, we were then right. your rights. And, uh, and uh, you know, needless to say, that was like, I was like, game on. Like, you're going down, lady. You know? like. Did she ever try to bullshit you? So, like, five years later, this is probably, probably 2010. Uh, yeah, probably 2009, 2010. <laughs> I get a letter saying, like, Dave, love for, um, you know, and I had totally blacklisted in anything I would ever do. Um, oh, right, wasn't invite. Well, yeah, your oh. your your list of people who aren't allowed at Mamafuku events is like oh, you're done. You're, this person yes. is like done. Yeah, and uh, I was like, basically to paraphrase the letter, it was like, so you know, let bygones be bygones. Water on the bridge, and I replied back, and uh, whether I had to courier it over or I FedExed it, I think I did. I FedExed it. <laughs> I basically said the the only way it'll be over is when your company's defunct. I will never bury the hatchet. In fact, the reason we're successful is by hatred towards you. Wow. Yeah. My hatred towards you. Oh, of course. That's awesome. And I'm sorry. Such... I still somehow, like, I know that for you to sort of, like, heal as a person and let go of whatever the trauma of your childhood was, you have to, like, let that shit go. <laughs> but just as a guy sitting here with you, I yeah, love it. Right? I'm so, I fucking love I that you like, did that. I'm like, Dave, I should be magnanimous. I should be, like, you know. Oh, I'm, you knew the right thing. Like, you are saying. But I can't, I can't do it. I just can't be this fucking better person in me i'm trying hard no like a things. friend of mine had that pro who was a huge supporter of yours i think once someone on his site wrote something not great i think you blackballed him for years but um uh and he said to me like do you know why dave is i don't understand i've been such a loyal supporter but uh but so in the beginning you're fueled by that uh but the other half it because i think it's important because you beat the shit out of yourself to say the flip side of you calling out the bullshit is that when you do find something that you think is not bullshit and is great, that someone else does, you celebrate it. Now, is that something you told, like, you know, look at what you did for Ivan. All the different chefs who've, uh, you've given pop-ups to or you've sort of said to people, you have to go here. Uh, now, you may not even think of that as doing something for them. or they, but, but that is, to me, it seems like a flip side, which is when you think you see the real thing, it seems to so me. When I love you, I, I fucking love you, you know, really. And... Uh, um, you know, that's just me. I'm just this insane person. But um, when I see something that I really enjoy, when I like, it's it's like, okay, like whatever I can do to to help you out, let's do this. And, um, you know, I wish we could do more of it because that's, that's fun. That's so much fun. Um, do you feel like sort of an obligation to the people doing the thing that you're, you know, when you find a younger person or even an older person who's been at it and you feel like they're doing it with the same intentions? Is that a part of like whatever your mission is? No, I just, you know what? I mean, I'm not that old, but I feel like I've seen a lot of stuff. And uh, if I can provide some type of advice or even counsel to somebody so they can avoid some of the pitfalls, then fantastic. But also if somebody makes something awesome and they're a good person, you know, and I'm not the art judge and jury of a good person, but for me, who I love as a good person, like, Man, like I want them, I want them to be able to share that with everybody. What does that mean to you, like a good person? Like, is they're it... not a jerk. Right. They're not a terrible. You know, they're not. You know, they generally are a good person. And, like loyal. Um, 
Yeah, loyalty is really important to me. <laughs> right. Very important. Like, probably the number one thing in my life is, like, you're either, like... On the team. Yeah. And, like, you're genuine. You know, there's yes. no bullshit. And... Um, no, no, you really do clock it. I know, like, I know that I, I know, um, you know, this friend and I were having dinner once is right before you and I actually met but again, but it was like years later and we both, we thought we had met you first. So we had, we texted you from this restaurant and like you had clocked exactly when we'd come in, knew we were both people who'd been there a lot. And it was amazing to me because in the blizzard of that whole thing, you had somehow noticed, uh, so I, when that started at the beginning, I just right. want to go back to it because it compa- you know compare it to this thing now. Was it the only thing that kind of existed for you then? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I was like a like a man on a mission, but when I was 26 years old and I have four and a half years of culinary experience under my belt, barely enough really to even not even be a sous chef anywhere, especially 2004 being probably one of the biggest banner years ever in restaurant history in New York City at least. I had no right to do what the fuck I was doing. In opening up even anything even, even a 13 was, seat restaurant it's 27 the first one right 600 square feet yeah but like let's be honest here you just don't do that the only reason i was doing it because i couldn't i wasn't going to be as good as everyone else on that track you mean you, know, uh, you weren't going to have your own craft in your head your own clean. no i mean i always go back to alex lee who's the chef at danielle yeah. at the time who's like too still to me like the best of the best he retired at age 35 and i'm like what the fuck and he doesn't care he's going to be the chef at the country club. And I was like, this guy is the best chef ever. And Andrew Carmelini, he's like 32. He's like not even that much old. Not even. He's 28, I think. Back then. And Back you then, were. I was yeah. like 24. I'm like 25. I'm like, wait a second. The only thing that's separating us is like five years. And you just thought those guys were so far beyond you. <laughs> Carmelini, where was he the head chef? I mean, the I know. Was, like, right, there's b- no way the I'm going to be able yeah. to get better than they are. It's just not going to happen. Unless they like die tragically in some, some form or right. fashion, I'm not going to the head of the class. So it was like a real like come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, we got to, let's get serious here. Like, I don't want to stay on this path. I got to do something else. And if I was better, I would never have done any of this. If I was further along, I would never have done any of it. If I had too much more experience, I probably would be like, this is a terrible idea. People always want to know when to leap. They ask me all the time. They go, I'm at this job. I think you're saying you leapt sort of like a, a moment. You realized. Uh, I, I was coming from a pretty dark place. There was a lot of shit going on in my life. And when you are in that moment where things are, it's funny. I keep on saying the moment and it's the moment, right? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, you just tend to not think about the importance of things that you normally would think were important. Why were you in a dark place? Because of the, uh, the perception of disappointment with your parents? Like, what? No, I think like my mom was very sick. I have like a lot of other stuff going on with my family. Um, were they in California and you were here? No, they were yeah, Where Virginia, were they then? Virginia. Um, no, and I, I had just come back from Japan right. and I was really having some serious culture shock, back reverse culture shock. Um, just... My just generally, even if none of that shit was happening, just being me is a pain in the ass. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, the pull quote: "Just being me is a pain <laughs> in the ass." But, I, uh, you know, and you know what? It was tough. Like going back at that time, like restaurant industry was still coming out of September 11th. Yes, and we were dead. Hospitality industry was fucking dead. And uh, I think when you start looking at that, you're like, "Well, um, what's the what the who really matters about? Who cares?" Who fucking cares? And also, if like the pinnacle of the profession just to me, my hero just quit. It's like, what's the point? 
And a lot of things may be questioned. What's the, what's the fucking point? Who cares? And I literally, just like, um, I don't think that I'll ever reach the age to like benefit from my IRA or 401k or whatever. I just don't, right? You still don't? I still don't. There's no way. You're, I don't flaming, you're, you're just going to go out like a soccer before that. Well, I, I think. think I will, right? I don't. I, no. I, I, I legitimately just don't. I just don't. You ask me like, I won't. I just won't. When I signed the lease for Noodle Bar, I didn't think I was going to live past the age of 35. I really didn't. I was like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to live past the age of 35. If I did, I would have signed the five-year option that was like right there on the lease. And right. The, and, the, and the agent was like, what do you mean you don't want to sign the five-year lease? I mean, the, the, the option, option. John, yeah. I was like, that is like so dumb. <laughs> right, yeah, you figured the thing would fly. Yeah, right. I was like, who cares? I'm on a one-way ticket, man. This is, this is it. And uh, that's just how I perceived it. Obviously, do I want to live as long as possible? Obviously. Well, no, no. I, what's your fear? No, what's the? What do you think the fear is? I don't fucking know. What do you, you know, think? Talk to my shrink. Like I don't, yeah. <laughs> you know. But like at that time, I just was like, let's just do this. Who cares? Enough of being a wallflower. Let's ask the girl out to dance. If I get rejected, I get rejected. If I have to declare bankruptcy, I'm 26 years old. Who gives a fuck? I'll, I have the rest of my life to declare uh, to fix it. So it was like. When you start thinking like, okay, bankruptcy, not that bad. Right. You begin to sort of question what is your priorities. And I just, for someone that I believe was sort of reserved, um, not reserved, but like afraid. You didn't put yourself out front right. in that way? Normally not. not. And also, I'm, I'm pretty like, like a, believe it or not, pretty reserved guy in general. I think over the years I've had to learn to be like a little bit more. Yes, public. I think your natural. I, yes, your natural state is to uh, to uh, like observe. And, and uh, yeah. I think that um, those were the reasons why it was more like, well, who cares? It's not like whatever I was doing before has been that good for me. And you know, you sort of realize, like again, I've had cancer a lot in my family, and one of the saddest and happiest moments is when a person finally realizes that they have to start living life when they've been told that they have not so much time left. It's, at the same time, something that's so beautiful and fucking tragically sad. It's everybody, it is everything. It's everything. But you know, because the, the goal, right, is to get that to happen before. Right, and I feel like I had, I sort of embrace, I tell all my friends like, oh, I have all this shit going on in my life. I was like, embrace it, embrace your freak out. Your, your life is trying to tell you something. You know, it's like pushing you out of your comfort zone. And but of course, I, you didn't realize that stuff then exactly, or did you? Like, do you think were you thinking? Well, I, mean, I did it before because, like, my career did not project me to be a cook to begin with. You know, I just yeah. was like, you know, I really had like an office space moment. I was like, fuck you guys. I got drunk at an office party. <laughs> I'm out of like, here. You guys, I'm out of here. And they still didn't even fire me. It was ridiculous. Um, so I tend to like always be that person, but um, so yeah, so it had you embrace embrace your freak out. I think that that's pretty important. But when it hit, you didn't then just say, "Okay, I have this hit one restaurant and that's it." Like, what do you think lit the fuse for the ambition that led to Sambar and the rest well, of it? Because what? The, how long but, after? But here's the thing: people think that. And here's the thing: in over I ten years, we've never answer. closed a thing down. Over, we probably have over like twenty operations now. Not one thing has ever closed. I yeah, don't, you never sacrificed the one for the other. That's for a sure. remarkable like track record to not close a single restaurant down. Even Mario Batali's closed restaurants down, and we will eventually. I know we will. Um, not the thing is, not all of our concepts have worked right off the bat. That's what I see. You didn't close. So, so the second thing you opened with Sambar, and Noodle Bar almost closed down. Sambar, I swear to God, I was like, this will never happen again. But I don't know what the fuck I was thinking because I opened up one of the 
most backwards ass concepts you could ever do. Like Sambar was a burrito shop. It was an Asian Chipotle that, you know, more or less, I feel like we should have served out of the back of a taco truck. It was a good concept, but it could have been marketed better. It could have had better uh, everything else. But I think that uh, the timing was wrong. The execution wasn't as good as it could have been. But, you know, I put all my eggs in on that restaurant, literally. On Sambar. I mean, one reason why I believe a lot of restaurants close is because they don't have everything to lose. (laughs) You mean you made sure those first couple times you had everything to lose? Fuck yeah. I mean, not only just me, like my dad, like, you know, there was a lot of stuff at stake. And so what was it like when it didn't? Because so, so noodles, this incredible success, so like people, you become great, famous. But, I have, but if I lose noodle bar, I would have lose noodle bar if I had Sambar because I got a, I got a loan to open Sam. Yeah. And my apartment, everything was up. And so when it wasn't so working, the accountant comes in and tells you, Dave, um, you know, this happened before like two years ago. It's happening again. But this time you got 90 days. You got 90 days. And unless you can hit X amount of dollars per week. And keep it says you're going out of you're done. What do you mean it happened two years before? You mean a it was the moment bar. a noodle bar? I was, I, we had like literally like a, two months left. And what happened that lit the fuse? Uh, oh shit, we're going out of business. Like fuck it. Right. <laughs> but and, but when you so Sam, then you decided. But then again, I was like I was like perplexed at like how the fuck did I put myself in a situation again to let this happen again? And I can speak positively about it now, but at that time, like uh, to be with your back against the wall um, to finally like do shit. That's like a really stupid way of like being motivated. So was that, yeah. How did, when did you start thinking really clearly? Like, okay, did it come to you? The reorg, like the sort of um, resetting of that menu and oh, it was literally, re- literally that day right after that meeting with the counter. I was like, Oh shit, I guess we got to be open 24 seven, whatever we got to do. I mean, that's why I, I, I really mean that when restaurants close, I tend to believe it's because they didn't have anything at stake. Because I don't, I never wanted us to close to be like I didn't work hard enough. That was never going to be part of the equation ever. It was going to be some fucking act of God or something ridiculous that was going to prevent us from working. It might be a stupid fucking idea, but not because of our lack of trying. So you didn't start really like living the uh, more public side of your life, the partying, good time, travel thing until oh, after I, Psalm, I, I was until after some hit or were no, you doing when, it at the when same it was time? work like. You know, that was one reason why I got, I loved cooking was as much as I love cooking. Yes. What was more enjoyable was like the fucking buffoonery. <laughs> right. I mean, that's like, honestly, the best part about cooking is talking shit all day long. Yeah. Um, it's so much fun. Like that is honestly, people think that I'm not serious, but talking shit all day long and making fun of people is the number one reason why line cooking is so much fun. Well, you see that in the people you surround yourself with anyway, right? I mean, when you went and start Lucky Peach, this super serious thing originally with McSweeney's, whatever, you know, you go into it with Peter Meehan, who, I mean, just read the travelogues that you guys yeah, have written together. Just, you know, you're you obviously... Wanna, that's what you do. You want to hurt feelings. That's how you know you're doing your job. And anyway, it's just like having fun going out, that all happened. But like, work was dead serious. I mean, you try to carve out... You know, I think Fred Morin and a Lucky Peach issue, a few, ba- few issues back said it best. is like, as a cook, you sort of have PTSD. And the only way you can have a, like, a life is at like 2 to 4 in the morning. And you carve it out and it's usually highly inebriated because you need some type of right. relief. It's so stressful um, that you don't need to. And you just have to self-medicate. And, man, I went out a lot. I went out a lot. And... Um, you know that those those moments happened, but when it was work, it was not. There was no never ever mixing. Like when I'm on duty, there is no fucking around. Do you miss the charge? 
of the like I you know you, why you had to step away do you miss the charge of the cooking and the release of that like because now you are obviously whenever I put on whites yeah what happens? and I'm in the kitchen and it's like me and I'm like it's on me not like one of our chefs or anything like I'm a terrible person <laughs> I really try not to be I just I just turn into this fucking son of a bitch that is like it's just a terrible person like I try not to be um, and it's great because right now it I spend a lot of time at I don't know. It's like, um, like I didn't like I did it. Like I did it like a dinner or like a f- charity. Last time, yeah, thing. charity thing. And man, I was just, I just say the worst things possible to people. <laughs> people you're working with, I, or the like- not trying to be. It just comes out, and um, you know, there's no. I, I, I tend to believe that there's no way you can be like these. The, what I call it, the, like a sort of like a hippie chef, where like you can't yell, you're a terrible motherfucker. You awful son of a bitch. That's the funny thing. They're like telling me this. They're like, you can't. Right. You're a terrible son of a bitch. You can't talk that way. Because like yelling, you can't yell. But I really believe that uh, it's like Star Wars to me. You, except it's vice versa. It's like to be, you, you got you, Everyone starts on the dark side. If you want to be great, I think you, you follow the path to be great. You work in the kitchens. Everyone's on the dark side. Right. So much cool. I always thought I mean, dark side sort of awesome, right? But then you learn that's easy and there's got to be a better way. And then you start to go to the light side. You want to be a little bit more enlightened. When did you start even thinking about that? Was it after you'd had like the financial success and you'd proven who you were? No, I still... When? I still have the same insecurities I had when I was like probably 15 years old, you know? Do you think of yourself as a success? No, I really don't. What do you mean? I mean, I know it's there, but I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Like I literally have the same insecurities. Like all of the success... Has, has changed me. I know it has changed me, but I don't think it has uh, filled any of my like holes in my life. Right, it's the success. It's You didn't say all of my success, right? You said all of the success, like it's this other thing. This is thing. something else, yeah. It's not you. It's, it's not me. I yeah, mean, but by the same success. token, though, you do know like um, if you put something across that's really... Like, you know, I've seen you talk about the Psalm sauce that you now have. But now it's a joke. Like, it's so funny to me. But yeah, but by the same token, you are. But I'm also deadly awesome, serious. Right? Yeah, I do think it's awesome. You want? You think it should be on every table? Yeah, it should I be do. right next to the sriracha. I, I do. I do. Right? Yeah. Because you. Oh, make, I mean, I literally think it makes sriracha better. You mix them together, it's better. Did you bring any today? I didn't. I didn't. You suck. What? Uh, and and uh, like when you now find something like that, or this pursuit of fried chicken that you've been on to make the perfect fried <laughs> chicken sandwich. Which again, you may say is like a joking thing, but you clearly have spent a lot of time thinking about it. But I, you this. know what? Again, I get way too much credit. It's been Tony Kim and a lot of guys at Noodle Bar. But yeah, but you set them. I mean, you did say like, um, "I want this," right? You were. I mean, I, I guess I'm involved, but like, uh, that's one thing I've had a hard time over the years what? is getting a lot of the like the the accolades or the 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 lion's share of the credit. It drives me fucking insane. But don't you get, obs- I'm, I guess my question is like, so if something like this, what is it? You're opening a chicken? Yeah, we're going to do like a fast food, basically like a fast food concept. Is it like spicy fried chicken? Only spicy fried chicken. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I have to be at the opening, but uh, the friends of him. But, but when, how did you book decide like, I need to do this? Like, this is what's missing or this is what I want to do? Like, what's that process well, like for you now? I mean, I thought about this. Like that old co-space was really important to us. It was old noodle bar and we turned it into co-it. It's been like magical space, really. I don't believe in magic, but it feels magic. And I, 
I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Um, you know, because Coe's really the Sean Gray project, and he's just fucking kicking ass. Right. He's, we have so many great people. And I was like, uh, it's harder. I'm always now trying to go after the, the highest hanging fruit. And I've learned that you got to pick the fucking lowest hanging fruits first. <laughs> and uh, let me, like, I want to give Sean what he wants to do, so I can't just, like, be in his shit. i got to, like... Be there, but be supportive. You mean for Co for the yeah, new just version generally, of Co? Like, yeah, and it's hard to like. I don't want to be that boss where, you know, you see a group of people working on a project, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go help out. And you're like, yeah, you know what? We should do this, this, and this. <laughs> and, and then, then you leave. And then, then you leave, and everyone at the table is like, what the fuck did he just say? Are you fucking kidding me? This motherfucker just did this, this, and this. Like, fuck him. In the movie business, that's called a producer. <laughs> just so you know, that's the and producer. And I was just like. You know what? Like, Dave, you're an asshole because why the fuck would I know better than these guys that are in the restaurant all the time? I just show up and like, I'm like do this, this, and this. And I know exactly what I'd say if I was working for me. I'd be like, what a fucking jackass. I so know. I would be like, you know what? Let me, how do I be part of this by not being a part of it? Just supporting it, being in the shadows and helping out. And that's something I'm learning. But, you know, I was like, okay, I'm trying to do this, but I still had this urge like, oh, I want to open up a restaurant. I'm going to do Co, and we're going to call it Coda, K-O-D-A. Maybe we'll still do something like that, but I wanted to do like uh, rustic Japanese food, rustic Korean In the old Co space. In the old Co space, and I'm going to be there cooking, and... Oh, you told yourself you're going to open the place yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, that concept's been like literally every fucking thing over right. the past six months. Oh, you thought you were going to do it And it yourself. still might be a lot of different things. It's just, it's going to... 163, without a doubt, will constantly flow and morph into a variety of things. But uh, I was like, I'm going to turn this into a restaurant. And it's going to be great. And um, I mean, it's food that I want to eat. Literally, it's food that I want to eat. I know that it's going to be good. I don't even know exactly what it is, but it's going to be a lot of soups and stews and classic grandma shit. And, uh, and then I just could envision, I started envisioning every day. Every day, almost hourly, like I could just sort of see, oh, that problem's going to happen, that's going to happen, that dish is going to happen, customer's going to come in, the light's going to go out, the electricity's going to go out, we're going to get reviewed here, this is going to happen. And I was like, it wasn't that much fun. You saw your own misery ahead of time. Yeah, this, and, this then, time and then you I'm going to be like, fuck, and that's another thing that I'm not going to do, like see, see through, and it's going to be this personal vision of me, and I'm going to be fucking like, fuck, this sucks, I don't want to do this anymore. And what was scary was, it wasn't scary. Oh, the failure didn't scare you. Didn't the prospect of even doing it? Right. Didn't fucking move me out of my. You, I, you I, didn't I, feel I like you're out over the I creative. Wanna, I want to vomit. You know, and that's when I know you're doing something. Is like fuck. I gotta throw up. Like yes, I feel nauseous. The same feeling that when you ask a girl out, you're like, oh shit, I'm gonna this fear of rejection, and you do great work that way. As and you're I creatively alive when and there's I a chance. I didn't flame. want that restaurant to be like Muzak. You know. I want it to be, I've been making a lot of fun of Aerosmith as of late. I don't want this to be Armageddon Aerosmith. I want this to be Toys in the Attic Aerosmith. Yeah. And I was like. You want big 10 inch record of a man who plays the blues. Right. You don't want the dream songs. So that's, you know, this is all in my head. And I don't even know why I'm sharing it with I mean, you. Dream but, a great song. But yeah. You know, so but, that was in your head was you were like. Yeah. So I just was like, you know what? What's going to be more exciting for me to do is to like give this to Tony Kim at Noodle Bar and to put him behind it and to see what can happen. And you know what, Dave? I already lived that life. Am I such a narcissist that I have to fucking live it all over again? But then how did the... So then you said, I'm going to... He came up with the idea of doing the chicken or you did? It, I told Tony and Tony's like, you're out of your mind. 
You're fucking out of your mind. We're going to just make this yeah. a fried chicken sandwich place for and only spicy fried chicken. even still doing a fried chicken sandwich, right? Like, we are in the process of doing a lot of things, right? But even before that was all happening, I just I sensed that, not just in that, and just generally, I was becoming that awful son of yeah. a bitch to work for where I was like, oh, we should do this, this, and this. And I was like, motherfucker, you just told us two weeks ago to do this. And, you know, delegating and managing is not my forte, and I'm trying very hard to get better at it. But you have so many, how many employees do you have around the a world? Lot. Yeah, a lot. a lot of employees in a lot of places. Hundreds, hundreds of employees. Maybe close to a thousand soon. And when you first opened, I want to get back to the chip, when you first opened in Australia, you actually went and cooked didn't, for a while. Oh, that was my dream, man. That was, that was escape. Do you think part of that, I was going to ask you, was part escape. of it that that was so far away, you weren't famous there yet, you, know, you became famous there quickly? No, no doubt that was escape for me because they built me a, my dream kitchen. It was 21 hours away, and there's only three times in my life or three moments around there where I get some real rest, flying on an airplane, getting my hair cut, and uh, getting a massage. I just fall asleep. It's, I have a hard time sleeping otherwise. And that actually was a prospect that was inciting to me. It's like, man, like that travel would be awesome. Oh, the 20, <laughs> 21 hours would be great. I right. swear to God. I was like, what kind of lunatic am I? That's the first time now I actually know you are crazy. Yeah, that like, travel no would be so great. Like it just unplugs me from all this shit. So, and you know what? We built an amazing, we still have an amazing restaurant out there. And, you know, we hit number one in, 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 in most of the rankings there. And um, I spent a lot of time. I probably spent two years of 2011 you know, basically two years in Australia and Sydney. And, uh, you know, I didn't manage my time well here. You know, it's like I, I ran away from what was good. What, this is another thing I learned is that what's good for me is not necessarily good for everybody else. And that is part of Momofuku. And, uh, so how do you balance I, it? That's what I'm learning. I, I generally have, like, learned that uh, I tell myself I'll do whatever is best for the restaurant, best for everybody that works for me from the dishwashers on up. I tell myself that. But the reality is, I was like, man, am I really just telling myself that or am I doing it? Am I walking the walk? And, you know, I don't think I was. And um, I'm trying to more than ever before because, um, you know, it's like I have a lot of people that are responsible. Do you feel the responsibility? Is your primary responsibility to, to, in your mind, to the people who are the fans of what you do, to the people who work for you, to yourself, your own vision? Like, how do you? No, I I literally, I want to be the best. I want the I want to be able to provide for everyone that's at the restaurant. I mean, I love the customers. They are like our shareholders, really. But uh, I want people to be like, I want to provide. Because the reality is like, you know, I could stop doing Momofuku and I think I'd be okay. You know, um, I could, you know, we've been, have, we've had a lot of offers to sell Momofuku over the years. Um, and I would be retired. But the reality is I'd probably be dead. I know I'd be dead. I'd be in like a gutter in like some fucking Southeast Asian country. Why? <laughs> I just, that's how I feel like, you know? Um, and partly it'd be survivor's guilt. I'd be the only one that really made it. And one thing that I feel very good about is if I'm able to help the whole company and everybody win, you know, financially and creatively, then that would be the, just the best. So if those moments, those three moments are the moments that you can feel calm or mm. restful. But the difference can- is, is this. I used to love flying and now I hate it. It's oh, crazy. It's not restful to you anymore. No, no, no. I, I just don't even want to fly anymore. You want to stay here? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's the craziest thing that's happened. What, uh, but my question is, and I know the things that make you really annoyed, but what brings you joy? What brings me joy, and it's, it's just you know, it's something I've thought a lot about. It's literally working with other people, my team, making them happy. I mean, 
I, I hate to say it, sometimes I forget that I'm in the hospitality business for being such a fucking son of a bitch half the time, more than half the time. But I, it doesn't mean I have to love everybody. I just need to love the people that are with me and like provide. Your crew. My crew. And being, I don't want to be the, like the Messiah figure that saves everybody. I don't want that shit. I want to be. You did want that. It's no, 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 no. It's not like that. But like, I want to be part of a process. Like, in religion, right? I was very critical of Christianity because there was only one way you could ever get to heaven, and you have like on average sixty-five years on your life to fucking go to heaven, and then eternity, you're (laughs) fucked. You're fucked. That That didn't work. That didn't work. Come on, man. Like that sucks. And then I found a much more beautiful concept, and one of the sort of themes in in a strain of Buddhism was. Nobody reaches enlightenment until everybody reaches enlightenment. That's a much more beautiful conceit to me, right? And that's sort of how I look at it. It's much more hippie and uh, in my in my approach, but it makes me happy. That thought of like everybody winning out in the company in some form or fashion, winning out. I can't control everything, but if we run, if we are our best at being our company, and I hate trying to talk corporate speak, but um, that's where I'm at right now. Is like creating a place where people are engaged intellectually and they're happy and they know that they have to bust their ass but like they're getting they're getting rewarded for it so i want us to i want our team to get paid top dollar in in um in the restaurant industry not just restaurant industry. our goal is to like be the best ever so um and i want to if someone else can do it better than me then then like bring them on board but um for the time being that's like my version of happiness if i can get to that point like fuck That'd be the best. So then, right, that and then killing all your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Those you know, two things that's together. Problem. That's a real problem. I, I, I have a, a careful manicured list, and um, I got to figure out what to do about that. Well, um, thanks, man. I know you have to run, so I'm going to uh, – I'll end this here, even though there are so many more things that I really uh, want to ask you about. But what are – the last thing would be, from a food standpoint, what are, what are your obsessions now? What are you, what are you really – think is amazing, incredibly delicious, that you're excited to do and also really excited to eat? I mean, I just came back from Austin a couple weeks ago and I had first my first Franklin's experience, first everything, Texas barbecue is so good there. And to eat something where it's just three ingredients, salt, pepper, brisket, and so, I mean smoke, but that takes so much effort and intuition and experience to coax the best out of that. And that's the food that I want. I want I want to seek the best sushi. Because guess what? It's very simple, but not many people can do it. And I want to taste 35 years of experience. I want to go to San Sebastian. I want to go to El Cano and Extabari. El Cano is probably the restaurant that is like on the top of my tongue all the time. When a place that I dream about eating right now, it's because a restaurant originally I never wanted to eat at, and now it's the fucking place that I want to think about going all the time. Why? Because the only guy that makes the food is the dad, and he's been doing it 38, 28, 38 years. He's the only guy that cooks outside on the grill. And he's going to be able to be like, oh, the lobsters that we have today are a little, like, a little bit you know, larger, so the shell's going to be a little bit thicker. I know I'm going to have to cook this. I know I'm going to have to, when I crack it open, I have to add a little bit more vinegar because it's got a little bit of higher fat content. And, you know, that, I want that. I want something where it's literally wisdom i'm tasting wisdom and love and that's what i want right now i want that's why i want to travel to eat is to taste something where i can't get anywhere else i can't get that experience anywhere else and that's sort of where i'm at right now so um i mean i'm very fortunate to be able to talk like that but i'm picking and choosing my battles on that 
I mean, chasing after wisdom and love, I think you can apply that to every aspect of life. And I don't think that's a, that's not a foolish pursuit at all. When are you open to the chicken place? Have you announced Soon. It? Soon. We could, but we're just dealing with a lot of other stuff right now with it. I don't I want to bog you down with that, but well, Fuku's going to be coming soon. Fuku will be coming soon. And where can people get Psalm Sauce? Psalm Sauce at all our restaurants and eventually at some uh, stores soon. We just... Uh, I didn't come prepared with real knowledge. Listen, if, if people have, I wasn't trying to if, plug anything. If, no, there's no plugging. Listen, I really appreciate you doing this. You know, I've wanted to have this conversation with you for a really long time because uh, I just have to say your pursuit of this stuff, um, even though you do it like a fucking maniac, is super inspiring because you you did do something. I mean, the the one part of that's been written about a lot, and people can look in the New Yorker magazine articles about how how you really did turn the food establishment on its head. And I know that might not have been your intention, but you did. Uh, you know, the first thing I wanted to ask you was how you felt about the fact that you changed so many people's palate and understanding. I don't think about right. it. Right. I knew you were going to. There's I, no way. I, you think about that, you're, you're just going to turn into a terrible person. I really think. I mean, I'm already a terrible person. I don't need to become worse. I can't add anything to that. David Chang, thanks for doing this. People eat at uh, Mama Fuku, Mama Fuku Noodle Bar, Mama Fuku Sambar, uh, Ma Pesh, Fuku, when it opens the three joints in Toronto and Australia. And uh, get uh, get the little uh, truffle things at uh, Milk Bar. Christina Tosi does an amazing job. Thanks, Brian, for having me. David Chang. Sir. Thanks, brother.